Hello ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to VUX World, the practical voice podcast. This week's episode of VUX World is brought to you by Botmock. Botmock is the prototyping tool you need to be using for designing your voice experiences. You'll have heard about Storyline and Storyline has pivoted to Invocable and Invocable is now behind a paywall and it's it's uh, pivoted and changed the way it's doing things. Botmock essentially is very similar to what Storyline was and there's a, there's a drag and drop interface, it's all kind of really well sort of designed and really nice UI, you can colour code various uh, bits of content and blocks and people can comment on it and it's it's a really collaborative tool for designing voice experiences. I've used it in a couple of workshops, it is well worth checking out and you can check it out, get a free trial, go to botmock.com slash V-U-X world that's botmock.com slash vux world thank you to the team at botmock for sponsoring this week's episode welcome to vux world the second episode of the year this year so we are absolutely over the moon for our guests today to join us we are going to be speaking to the two founders of jargon for those of you who are proficient in voice and you've made plenty of Alexa skills and you've had experience in internationalizing your skills then you've probably come across jargon but there might be a few brands and a few agencies who might not be quite as deep into this world and and might not have come across jargon yet so today we're going to get very very deep into what jargon is and we're going to be talking about skill and action internationalization and content management as well and we're joined by the two founders of jargon Milkana Brace and Jonathan Burstein. This one might get a little bit technical, so we're going to hand over the reins to Dustin to take us through this one, Um, but it's going to be absolutely fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, this is VUX World. VUX World. VUX World. VUX World. VUX World. VUX World. Branding with the big faces. I love listening to it. Kane Sims. Kane Sims. Kane Sims, the one and only. Britain's finest, Mr. Kane Sims. Dustin. Dustin. Dustin Coates. I like it when you guys are together and talking about voice. Without further ado, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks so much uh, for for coming on the show. Do you mind just telling us a little bit about uh, what Jargon is and the background of you two as well? Yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you for having us. Um, I'm Milkana Brace, uh, founder, co-founder and CEO. I'm Jonathan Burstein, co-founder and CTO. And we started Jargon about a year ago, and really our mission is to build tools for voice developers, in particular focused on content management. Um, And we are very excited to be part of what we perceive to be a revolution that's happening in voice uh, and to be able to help shape it and and really uh, share in the excitement along with many other developers who are creating skills and actions. Great. And when you go on your website, I notice you have a couple of different offerings. You've got the SDK and you've got the localization services. How are these different and how do they work together? Yeah, I can, um, I can answer this one. They, they do work together and they're really kind of two pieces of a puzzle that comes together. Um, so the SDK is the library that helps any skill developer or actions developer organize their content in a way that makes it easy for them to manage it later on. And I'm sure we'll get into more details, more technical details of what the SDK really um, supports. So I, I will table that just for a second. But it is an open source library and it helps developers organize the content inside the skill. 
Um, and that's useful whether you're thinking about localization or you're not even thinking about it or you don't anticipate ever needing localization. And then in addition to the SDK, we offer a service. And that service uh, is something that developers pay for, unlike the SDK, which is free. And that service enables developers to share their content with us, their voice content with us, and for us to take it and localize it. And we localize the um, user input, so the utterances. We localize the output, so the responses that the skill says back to the user, as well as the store metadata. And we've really engineered a process that makes it easy to go through that content, and we've partnered with the best uh, localization experts uh, in, in the industry to go through that content and, and translate it and make it um, ready for the target market. And once that localization process is done, we repackage the skill and share it back with the developer in the exact same uh, format as what they shared with us, but in the output language. So really from the perspective of the developer, the whole process is um, kind of automated and, and uh, they don't need to get involved beyond sharing the content with us. So that's why there are two steps. The first one is the SDK. There are lots of benefits to it beyond localization. It really externalizes the content from the source code. Um, and then if and when developers need localization services, we offer that um, as, uh, as a service. Okay, great, great. And uh, we want to come back to, to both of those, but in the uh, meantime, you mentioned that uh, the vision here is really building dev tools for voice content. Uh, what is so exciting to you about that? Where, where do you see that heading? Where do you see jargon heading in terms of providing those tools? Yeah, I mean, we see a very exciting future for voice ahead, and um, we believe that we are just barely scratching the surface. So today, when you open most skills, the experience tends to be pretty static. You know, you hear the same content over and over again. There are some skills introduce variety, but not a great amount of variety. There is um, hardly any personalization or any sort of dynamic uh, adaptation of the skill based on how the dialogue is evolving. And over time, we find it's going to be inevitable for skills to become much more dynamic, much more personalized. And that's really the broader opportunity that we see ahead of us. And that's that's the, the set of services we're looking to build in support of what developers will need. So from, from the perspective of managing content, the SDK, is this a developer framework for, so is it's content management within the code side of things or is it content management with like a front end what what kind of skill level are we talking to be able to to use this it's a great question so today it's it's very much the former it's content management within the confines of the, the code base of the skill the land or whatever the back end piece is um, and so it still you know requires the developer to go and place the content in the right format in that file and have it aligned with the calls from the code itself and the intent handlers to go and load the correct resource and provide the required parameters. Definitely that we want to move to that latter piece where we have an easy to use interface available on the web for non-developers to be able to update and modify and optimize the content for a skill. So that simple changes in particular don't require having to go through a full development team and a full you know, release cycle to get it out there. But to really bring all of the powerful content management tools 
that marketers and content managers are used to for web and mobile scenarios also make that available for voice. Yeah, the thing that's really interesting there is you're separating the content from the code. And right now with a lot of these voice applications, the content is right there within the code. And if you if you wanted to, I believe with jargon, I don't, I'd be interested in hearing if any customers do this, you could have someone who's a non-developer going in and editing those files. Absolutely. And so because this separates it out, do you see that as, uh, contributing to more fully featured or more uh, you uh, sort of more valuable voice applications in the future? Um, fully featured and valuable, yes, and we believe that in general, voice is becoming increasingly sophisticated and increasingly uh, a channel and an interface that allows brands and independents to create really meaningful experiences for their users. Um, and yeah, we believe that having uh, an opportunity to dynamically modify the content at runtime will contribute towards that trend and will be necessary for that trend. And, you know, Dustin, when you say that uh, we help um, separate the content from the source code, as you know, that's a best practice in any development outside of voice. And so it's only not really the best practice in voice because we're so early on, but but it's kind of inevitable that we'll have to get there. So our SDK provides an opportunity for developers to get there efficiently and quickly and cleanly uh, from the get-go. What might some of the... So for people who who are either new to this or they've created a few skills and they're kind of looking at, at the various tools that they use, you mentioned there being able to edit content in runtime is that the primary benefit of separating content? I'm not a developer, so forgive me, but what, what is the benefits of separating content from code? There, there are a few different aspects that really come into play. Um, so one, obviously, is dealing with localization, you know, internationalization in multiple languages. And if you think about you have a skill that you want to run worldwide, you want a single code base because your logic is the same, but you want to speak in the user's language. And that in and of itself really requires that separation. So you have to make sure that your content, one, is available in multiple languages, and then that your single code base can pull in the appropriate set of resources based on the locale of the user that comes through in the request. The second part where it really becomes important to separate out content from the code is to allow for variations. In a voice skill, always saying the same exact response with the same exact words in the same exact scenario, it sounds robotic, it doesn't sound natural, it doesn't lend to really a conversational um, kind of discourse between the user and the skill. And so one of the features of the Jargon SDK is allowing for there to be multiple different ways of saying the same content for the same logical identifier. So the, the code says, you know, give me the content that corresponds to this scenario. And then within the separated out file, you could have multiple variations. Now, it's certainly possible to do that all within the source code, but it quickly gets a lot more complex and difficult to figure out what content corresponds with what, what other piece. And especially when you have variations, not just in one spot, but across multiple different spots, and you want to make sure 
that you're being consistent in how you're using them and all of these different concerns. That gets a lot, a lot easier to do once it's separated. And then the last part that comes into play is really making sure that as you're composing a complex response for multiple smaller pieces of content, that you're taking into account things that would make, make that response sound unnatural. So for example, as you're filling in variables, are there, you know, are those things represent a number in any way? So is the end result that you're speaking to the user properly pluralizing the, the words? And so it's grammatically correct. And this is something that's relatively simple in English. You only have one or two different cases. But for other languages, pluralization can you know, have three, four, five, six different variations based on the nuances of the language. And then you have further complications in terms of gender and formality. So it's not just placing in a single word necessarily based on a runtime value, but really choosing a, a much larger phrase or a different sentence based on those different concerns. And so once you have all of those things multiplied together, variations, pluralization, gender, formality, you can really have a large variation space and a ton of different possible responses for what's just a what seems to be a simple sentence or a simple thing. And by separating that out from the source code, having it makes it really clear what all those different pieces are, where the different you know the different branches for, for the different concerns come into play, and it just makes it a ton simpler for someone who's not a developer to understand what the final result would be. Well, you were you were just talking about combining the phrases, and you mentioned the pluralization and the gender of the words. But it sounds like you could also do something like have all of your different interjections, for example. Uh, perhaps you want to sometimes start the phrases off with "well," "all right," "okay," uh, and you can have all of those in one central place. Uh, and then combine those uh, with all the others so that you're not having them strewn all over the place. Exactly. There's, there's definitely ways to do that using the SDK. And so can you talk a little bit, you built the SDK uh, to interact very closely with the Alexa SDK as well and, and J the Jovo framework as well. Can you talk a little bit, especially on the Alexa side, what it was like building uh, building an SDK that works so closely with the Alexa SDK? Sure. So, you know, at the core, we, we want to really make sure that the, the Jargon SDK is additive to the frameworks that people are using. We're not trying to replace them, and we're not trying to duplicate all of the great work that the people at Amazon or Jodo and elsewhere have already done. So that, that was sort of one of our starting principles. Add value, but don't require people to duplicate what they've already done and jump through a lot of hoops. So really the core that you know the core problem of building the SDK was figuring out what's the smallest possible changes that we can make such that people can leverage the power of the SDK, of the Jargon SDK, but not have to stray far from what they already know. And what that boiled down to was really finding the way of one, getting into the response path. And so that early on when a request comes into the, into the skill of having the Jargon SDK, seeing the parameters for the request in order to one, determine what the user's locale is, and then two, you know, add our objects into 
the different pieces that the, the, the skill would work out against in order to compose its response. And then the second part was making sure those objects that we add really mirror what they already use, but to sort of flip things around. So instead of taking raw string parameters like the Alexa Skill Kit's response builder does or the, the similar jar, uh, Jova response builder, instead of taking raw skill, you know, those raw strings, changing it so it takes the pointer into the resource file. So which resource key do you want? And then what are the different parameters that you need? And this method allows people really to sort of iteratively go through an existing skill and then intent by intent go and change things over of taking their you know, raw string, moving it to a resource, and then changing which, you know, changing from the original response builder to the jargon response builder. So it makes it just a simple iterative process to go from something where everything's in the, you know, in the code base for a single language, extracting pieces out and getting to where you have everything separated into the resource file and can really leverage all the power of the jargon SDK. But where you don't have to go and make a lot of changes that aren't germane to that composing, composing of responses. And it sounds almost like middleware that's intercepting the request and the response. Is that a, a proper way to understand it? Um, certainly. So that's, you know, in the implementation, we're leveraging whatever sort of middleware hooks the different frameworks provide. So for the, the, the Alexa SDK, that's yeah, having request and response interceptors is needed in order to inject the functionality that we need. But you know, those details really all happen under the cover um, because it's just a single line of code in order to install the SDK. And then our logic takes care of configuring all of that middleware as needed. Cool. And for the non-developers in the audience, when we speak about middleware, we're really just talking about some code that comes in and, and perhaps makes changes to a request or a response and builds on top of that. Do you see in the future more developer tools being built for these voice platforms that take the same approach? Absolutely. <laughs> we, we expect and, and, you know, we expect to see uh, a proliferation of dev tools. Um, and it's interesting to see, at least as far as uh, Amazon is concerned, like they're really making an effort to promote uh, third party developer tools and agencies and support them. Um, and so we think that we believe that the approach, at least Amazon is taking, is to encourage more of an ecosystem uh, of third party uh, dev tool providers. And we'll, we'll have to wait and see what happens with the other platforms as well. I mean, obviously there's Google Assistant, but there are lots of other platforms that are really starting to gain traction uh, with developers. So we'll have to see what the approach there is. And have, did you, like, is the Alexa platform as open as this so that you can just go in there and build on it? I know you were part of the Alexa Accelerator, so I, I'm assuming there's some sort of understanding between yourselves and Amazon and how much you can talk about that, I don't know. But how... Have you had to get under the hood of Alexa to do this, or is Alexa open enough for you to be able to build this without really having to involve Amazon? That's a great question, and it's very much the latter. Um, so there's no involvement with, with Amazon at all in terms of what we're doing. We're you know, operating against their public interfaces um, and you know, hooking into, you know, we're hooking into the frameworks that Amazon have built, but those are designed in order to allow this form uh, of additional functionality through the middleware hooks that they provide. 
Um, but we're not doing anything that really is a core change to the underlying Alexa service that everything goes on top of. Um, that, there's simply no way to do that. That's all under Amazon's control and only something that their developers could do. But with respect to as long as you're following the protocols, you know, people can write their skills however they see fit. And so certainly while a lot of people use the Amazon provided Alexa skill kit, there's also alternative frameworks like Kyoto that are out there and a number of people who have written their own frameworks um, because they felt that that was a better way to achieve what they're looking to do. And we've talked a lot about uh, Alexa and obviously you've worked closely with the Amazon team as well. Do you have an SDK for Google Assistant also? Yes, we do. We have uh, sort of an early preview SDK for Google Assistant. Everything there is, is, is totally functionally complete. Uh, we're calling it a preview just because some of the documentation and instructions aren't quite out there, um, but that, that'll be coming pretty soon. And you know, with Google, with Google Assistant, you know, we've taken a similar approach where we have structured it to be an add-on to the support libraries that Google has provided, the uh, actions on Google SDK. And working you know, within the structures and frameworks that they've built in terms of how to compose responses. Um, but it, it works with sort of both, there's two, Google makes things a little bit complicated. They have different ways that you can build an assistant, um, either using dialogue flow, which is sort of their full feature natural language understanding products, or just more the raw S, uh, actions SDK. Both of those we do so far because they're pretty similar under the hood in terms of how the responses are composed. Um, but it's that same sort of additive approach where the core logic remains the same, but just how you compose your response changes a bit. You know, so instead of providing the raw strings, you're loading the resources that you need. Are there any significant differences or challenges between the two major platforms when it comes to localization? Not really that we've run across so far. Um, you know, both of them, in the end, I think are pretty similar in terms of what the life cycle of a request and response are and what the expectations are in terms of uh, the response mirroring the, the source language that the request came in. Now, Google certainly has um, some functionality in Google Assistant that Amazon doesn't yet have in Alexa that, that makes it um, a bit different for localization, for localization. One is they support a number of more languages. Um, and the second part is Alexa at this point, a device can only support a single language at a time. So if you want to change your Alexa device to go to be Spanish instead of English, it's a device setting. Google can do that on the fly. So your Google Assistant, your, your Google Home Speaker in the US, you know, normally you speak to it in English, but if you go and ask it a question in Spanish and speak to it in Spanish, it'll realize that right away without you having to go and reconfigure it. And that really comes into more of skill developers not making assumptions that a given user or a given device is always going to be in the same language and just always making sure that it's looking at what's on that particular request. Would it be right then to assume that at least from one perspective, uh, it's more incumbent on assistant developers to localize their skills because the same person can easily use different languages. If they want to reach the, the, you know, the full potential of their audience, then, then yes, absolutely. Yeah. 
There's also, does, does, do you know whether Google Assistant on Android works in the same way? Or is this purely a feature of smart speakers? Because the Android, I mean, the footprint worldwide for Android is huge, isn't it? Uh, as far as I know, it works the same way. Yeah, and I mean, it's uh, like you mentioned, they've got so many more languages and Kane, like you mentioned, it's got such a big footprint, uh, whereas Alexa has a, has a pretty big footprint as well. And so changing the, the topic a little bit, we, we talked a lot about the code and about the building. Uh, you all really focus on localization and really want to get your insights into that. For de- developers and, and application builders in general, what are some of the challenges in localizing their skills? Yeah, we talk, we've spoken to a lot of uh, voice developers and what we've heard pretty often is like, how hard can it be? I just run it through... Uh, Google Translate or AWS Translate, and, uh, you know, it's not rocket science. Um, and, in fact, many people have tried doing exactly that. And and really what happens is that they, they submit their skill for certification and it fails from a language perspective because it's just not good enough. Um, so it's ironic that, you know, people spend so much time thinking about the user experience, the dialogue, really what the skill feels like and looks like in, in, in the native language. And then oftentimes, uh, really localization is an afterthought and, and they, 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 they don't have the same kind of expectations as to what the, the quality of the localization is, is like. Um, so really, we believe that at this point, it takes a human editor to go through and think about how does this phrase sound in the output language, not just in terms of is it accurately translated, but also does it sound natural? Does it, does it sound conversational? Does it use the expressions and, and language and jargon, if you will, of the target locale in a way that's consistent with the rest of the, the skill? So, for example, if you're using very formal language for parts of the skill, you want to persist that formality throughout. If you're using a more humorous language or playful language, you want to be consistent throughout. And that nuance of language gets lost if you only focus on um, machine translation. So we, you know, we spent a lot of time um, an effort trying to understand what is the tone of the skill overall, what is the target audience, uh, what is the persona, if you will, of the skill, and share that information with the translators so as they go through and localize, they can really stay consistent with, with uh, that tone. You mentioned uh, how, uh, sorry, I forget the word you used, but essentially how formal, how formal uh, you're going to be in your skill or your application. And it's something we don't think about a lot in English. Is there something that has now been accepted as you should be informal or you should be formal in your skills, or does it depend on the language or even country or use case? Yeah, I would say it depends. And this is really where we're starting to see like voice becoming truly more of a medium that's nuanced as opposed to like a one size fits all. And just like brands have their own different brand brand identity or games have a different feel to them, you know, voice really allows for um, the, the authors to define what the experience is like for the user. And yes, in some cases it will be playful, in some cases it will be formal, in some cases it will be helpful. And everything needs to be consistent within the skill with that sort of persona, if you will, the language that's being used, the 
the interactions between the user and the skill. And we believe that capturing that is really important in order to preserve it as part of um, localization. So oftentimes when we talk about localization, we really talk about transcreation as opposed to translation. And transcreation really being the concept of you're looking to create an experience in the output language, not just translate word for word um, what the sentence is in the output language. So it's a lot more creative and it's a lot more, it, it requires a more in-depth understanding of what the skill is looking to accomplish and, and what the, who the skill is talking to. We spoke to uh, Micah Defua uh, around. We touched on a few of these things last year, and that was one of the, that was funnily enough the exact phrase that she used was transcreation. And one of the things that that was interesting about what Micah was saying, and it'd be interesting to see whether you've experienced something similar, is that depending on the persona in one country that persona might actually have a totally different meaning in another country. So if you had, I think the example Micah gave was, let's say that in England, you had based your persona on the postman or the postwoman or the postperson. That, that, the relationship we have with the, the postman is, is one of it. It's a distant one. They knock at the door, you'll give you a pass it, parcel, or they won't knock at the door at all, and they'll just drop something through the letterbox, and you never really see them. Whereas in France, he was saying that actually the relationship that people have with the postman is, it's one, it's very friendly, they're like, almost like neighbours, and then they know each other, and it's like a really kind of like friendly relationship. Have you come across that yet in terms of taking a persona that works in one locale and the whole persona just doesn't work in another locale? Yeah, that's a really great example. Um, and it's absolutely true that human interactions differ from country to country. And both of you being being based in Europe, I think you have naturally a lot more exposure and awareness to not only language differences across countries, but also cultural differences. Um, here in the U.S., just by definition, people are less aware of that. And so oftentimes when they start working on their skill, they don't really think about those, the ramifications of their choices down the road as they look to, to reach global audiences. But yeah, it's absolutely the case. And really where we've seen um, a lot of these cases surface are around formality. You know, how do you engage, especially some of the skills we've, we've localized for the Japanese market, like how you engage, like the level, the, 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 the quality of the language you use, the formality of the language you use, is quite different, um, for example, in the States versus Japan. So yeah, that's why it's important to have um, not only kind of professional translators go through and really edit and, and review the content, but also have those be native speakers of that particular country. Um, and this is where language and culture really become nuanced in that you may have the same language in the UK and the US, but uh, the, the phrases you might use or the tone you might use are different, even, even between those two countries that are really so close in many ways um, culturally. And certainly if you go across languages, or it's like Spain and Mexico is another great example where it's not just a matter of a different accent in Spanish. It's also a matter of different um, expressions and just different tone overall. So a lot of localization has to do with making it culturally appropriate and fine-tuning it culturally for that locale, which is why we use native speakers to do the localization. Yeah, it's it's interesting you mentioned that. I was, uh, I believe, having a conversation recently or read it recently uh, that someone here in France really liked cooking, but uh, he mentioned that all of the cookbooks were actually coming from Quebec. So all of the all of the recipes were in cups and ounces. Uh, so even something uh, something as small as that was quite important to have. How, when rather should 
uh, skill builder bring jargon on board or start thinking about localization? Ideally, it's, you know, if you're starting a new skill, it's something that you integrate from the start. And you, first of all, we think the jargon SDK provides a lot of benefits, even for a skill that's only ever going to be in a single country and a single language, because it provides all of those tools for being able to manage variation and then later on to have ways of updating content without having to you know, touch the source code. Um, so the earlier the better. And you know, even if, if you don't start with something like the Jargon SDK, once you realize that you do want to take it from another to another language, you're gonna to have to go and do the work to extract all the content. So the earlier you, you start using those tools and have everything separated, the better the better off you'll be. Yeah, I know as well that uh, with Google, at least, if you release your action in more than one language, I believe they send you a Google Home. So that's a pretty good uh, benefit towards that. And from what I've heard uh, with Alexa, the other skill stores are going to have a little bit less uh, competition. So if you're looking for the skill payout bonus, that might be a possible possible way to do that as well. Absolutely. Both platforms are promoting the international uh, expansion of, of apps and the international usage of apps and really creating a thriving ecosystem um, on these international uh, markets. So, yeah, it's a, it's a great time. If you want to reach a broader audience, it's a great time to get in early in the non-U.S. and non-U.K. and non-English speaking countries uh, for sure. And just to give you an example, today, 90% of the content on Alexa is in English. It's really across US, Canada, UK, um, Australia. And so if you, if you take the time to localize your skill for Germany or France or Spain or Mexico, you really, <laughs> there's, there's little competition. So you get a lot of exposure. So brands and independent developers who are taking advantage of that, um, of that timing will really benefit for the long run. Do we know anything about the the reasons why that may, might be in terms of, you know, if, if 90% of Alexa usage is in English, is that because English-speaking people use it more? Is it because that's just the general adoption? Is just far more adopted over there? Because I've heard, I've heard, I don't know if I've seen specific figures, but I've heard of Germany being selling a shed ton of, of Echoes over Christmas and France, I know it was only released last year in France, but the adoption there seems to be going. Is it, is it because it's an adoption thing? Is it a usage thing? Do you know any idea about why that might be? Yeah, we, we really believe that a big reason for that is localization. Localization is a friction point for taking skills or has traditionally been a friction point for taking skills from the U.S. and uh, localizing them for Germany or France or any of the other markets, which is why we have focused on supporting that scenario and really removing the friction for developers um, to, to expand into new countries. So, yes, we believe that has a lot more to do with, uh, with this reality than any underlying uh, kind of characteristics of adoption in those target markets. Um, as you pointed out, like adoption in, in those countries is is very high and they came online a little bit later after the US, um, but it's following nicely as a pattern and adoption is high. And so you mentioned to start as early as possible from, from day zero. If somebody already has a skill or an action out there, how do they jargonize it? Yeah, um, so it's really it's an incremental process. Uh, so you first start off by just doing 
the wiring to get the SDK in place, which takes all of five minutes or less. And then it's really going through intent handler by intent handler to extract the content and move it into resources. And while you're in that process, um, the skill continues to be operational. There's no barriers between using both the jargon response builder and the native Alexa skill kit response builder at the same time within a skill. So it's not an all or nothing kind of thing. And so that allows you to you know, continue to developing your skill and add new features. Hopefully as you add new features, you do that using the SDK so that they'll all be ready to go. And then you know, as you're in that process of also then going back and hitting all of the other pre-existing intents and moving their content over. What about if you were to start from scratch if you were if you were to start from day zero, to use Justin's words, if you were to start from day zero and build something from the ground up with jargon, in terms of actually planning how to organise the content. So, for example, if you've already got a skill built, all your responses are in the code. It's gonna be it's gonna be fairly easy. It might be it might take a while, but it's gonna be fairly easy to just go through, grab all your responses, put it over here. What about if you're building it from the from the beginning? Is there anything in particular from a from a design or development perspective and and changing the way people might approach developing or designing by using jargon from the beginning? I, I'm not sure that using jargon really changes sort of the design mentality that people need to use, um, but it is important that there is a design mentality, and that's in terms of thinking of you know, what is the user trying to achieve when using the skill, and really thinking of the customer scenarios first, and making sure that the skill is always going to be responsive to the customer no matter what they're looking to do. And that's really, if you think about all of the great guidance and design guides that Amazon and Google have put out in terms of what it means to build a really rich and responsive voice interface, um, that, that's, the, that's really the right starting point. Think in terms of frames, don't think in terms of a, a giant you know, voice response tree kind of mentality. And then you know, from there, it's thinking about what your different scenarios are. And a lot of times it will make sense for the organization of your resources to sort of mirror the organization of the intents and what's the underlying structure of, of the code and what the skill is trying to do. And I would say the third part is almost certainly your a developer is going to get stuff wrong as the skill changes and gets richer and has more functionality, there'll be a need to refactor. But you know, that's just reorganizing things as makes sense for what the current usage scenarios are. Okay. And Milkana, you mentioned earlier on around when you were doing the localization of skills and actions on behalf of developers or on behalf of brands. You mentioned that you've got translators, you'll do some persona defining, and then you will kind of transcreate the experience. Is that something that essentially there's a handover between you and the client and then you take care of it all? Or is that something whereby you'd operate almost like an agency and that you'll be collaborating with the client throughout? How does that relationship work if someone was actually going to go through the process of using jargon to internationalize their 
experiences? Yeah, it's a very straightforward process from the perspective of the developer. So they come to our platform, they upload um, their uh, content. Um, so it's a very straightforward uh, experience. And then we have them go through a questionnaire, which captures, as I mentioned earlier, sort of the intent and focus of the skill, the persona of the skill. And just an interesting side note, uh, we've had uh, a number of people tell us that as they went through and answered the questionnaire, it dawned on them that they were actually not very consistent in their own design in the uh, native language. And they kind of went back and reworked some of the phrasing um, in the native language. So it was actually a good forcing function for them to really think through uh, who are you talking to and how are you talking to them. But in any case, as the developers upload their content on our platform, they go through a a straightforward questionnaire and answer uh, who they're targeting. and, And they submit what languages they want, what locales specifically they want the skill localized for and that's it we take it from there so we've automated the process of extracting the content parsing it we've built uh, web-based tools that make the localization easy uh, and really specific for voice and we've partnered with external agencies um, to really use their professional translators and our tools to go through that process and it's a, it's a fairly kind of automated process in that there isn't a lot of hand-holding from us. Um, and then once the localization is done, of course, the developer can keep track of how it's advancing, how it's progressing. Once it's done, we repackage the files and push them back to the developer. So from their perspective, um, as I mentioned earlier, the whole process is really um, automated. So it's a hands-off experience. And I should say that we also guarantee that the skill would pass localization. Uh, uh, what, sorry, I, we guarantee that the skill would pass certification from a language perspective. So if for whatever reason there is some pushback, um, you know, we'll absorb whatever touches need to be made until it really uh, clears certification. So it's, it's a headache-free experience for the developer. If a independent developer or a company was going to localize their voice applications, do they then need as well to have localized support for them as well? Oh, when you say support, do you mean kind of the store metadata? Is that what you mean? No. Uh, for example, this is more on the, the selling side. If they were selling a product, uh, do they need localized user support as well? Is that something that's important or... Uh, is that something that can come later? Yeah, well, you know, that's really a, a decision that every developer or brand needs to make on its own. And so if you look at uh, kind of large brands, many large brands have web and uh, mobile localized versions, but then they provide support in a, a fewer number of languages. Mm. Um which is kind of a, it's, it's really a brand choice. Um, and, and sometimes it's a terrible experience for the user if they don't speak one of the supported languages and yet they can transact on the supported language uh, on, on, in their native language. Uh, but that's really a decision that the, the brand makes. What about maintenance going forward? So like building on, so an- analyzing what's happening within your skill or action, improving it over time, adding new features and functionality and, and continuing the kind of incremental improvement of of the experience. How does that work when, because presumably if I'm a developer and I, and I only speak English, I then need to get my skill trans created. I then make a whole lot of changes and updates in the English version. I add some features, I change some things around. 
What's the knock-on effect there and, and how do people maintain the skills internationally? That is an excellent question. I'm really glad you brought it up, Kane, because many people think of localization as a one-time effort, and it's not. Just like your uh, voice application keeps evolving, uh, and it should keep evolving, so do the localized versions need to be uh, updated accordingly. So it's definitely not a one-time effort, and and we've we've certainly um, thought about that scenario. Right, and we have functionality in the localization platform, so that allows a developer to re-upload their skill after they've made changes. And when they do that, we go and detect what's changed between the previous version and the new version. Uh, and the new version, so that we only need to go and send the change content to our editors to do the localization. So we don't have to start from scratch and redo a whole bunch of work, but only need to uh, work on those areas that have been touched up or new. If, if somebody wanted to uh, go from this, this episode and start working with Jargon, what would be their steps? How would they do that? Uh, you know, the first step would be to go to the Jargon website, follow the links to the SDK to go and download that and install it into their skill. Um, you know, and, and start really move, you know, starting that process of, of migrating over to the Jargon SDK to uh, manage all their skill content. You know, once they've done that step, then they're really ready to submit their content uh, to our localization platform because everything will be in the format that we can understand, especially with, with respect to the, that content that the skill responds back to the user. And then from there, you know, they sign up for an account, submit their skill, and we take it from there. So check out jargon.com for for more information. And we are also posting, continuously we're posting write-ups, updates, tutorials. Uh, we just kicked off a series with Dapple Labs where uh, they, they um, cover kind of the jargon SDK and the services we provide. So uh, there will be a lot of content that helps developers really with kind of hands-on instructions for how to, uh, how to use the SDK. Is, this, is, this, is that YouTube, Dabble Labs? Yeah. That's on YouTube, isn't it? Yeah. Cool. Okay. We'll put the links to those in the show notes. Great. And so you, you already mentioned jargon.com, but where else can people find jargon online and where can people find you two if they want to learn more about you? Um, so jargon.com is probably the best place to start, and that's where we'll be linking off other content. Um, we are also on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. Uh, our handle is Jargon Journey. Um, so do connect with us, uh, and we're always happy to talk to developers, um, answer questions, really kind of help um, advance the voice, uh, the voice revolution, so to speak. So don't hesitate to reach out to us directly, Milkana at jargon.com and Jonathan at jargon.com. Great. Well, thank you so much for, for being on the podcast today. Thank you. It was wonderful talking to you. Yes, thank you for having us. That was Milkana Brace and Jonathan Burstein. For some reason, I didn't quite appreciate exactly what jargon is. I knew I knew of it, heard a lot of people speak about it, come across it, and realised that there was an SDK that helped manage content, realised that there was a localization aspect to it, never really dug deeply into the specifics of what it was. So I can't thank Milkana and Jonathan enough for joining us today, because... 
it's just it makes perfect sense separating content from code makes perfect sense and i know that you can go through if you've already got skills that exist you can already go through there and you can pull out your intents and extract everything from it and use jargon to to kind of separate content from code from existing skills but i can see that creating skills and actions from scratch in the knowledge that you've got a separate place for your content I think will be, it's, I don't know, I can't quite work it out in my head, but it seems as though it will be easier from a design perspective. Um, so it's, it, yeah, it just it sounds like a fantastic tool. And then the localization, Milkana touched on it in terms of, look, 90% of voice assistant usage or smart speaker usage is happening in the English language. But Germany has got a, a wicked voice scene. They're putting events on every month. There's a whole load of talented people over there doing really interesting work. France is taking off. Spain is taking off. Obviously, Mexico, I'm sure they either speak Spanish or a version of Spanish. Um... So I think that the potential for internationalizing skills right now is absolutely huge. Now, really, 2019 is the land grab for internationalizing skills. If you are a developer and you've got a skill that is working really well, if you get, put it this way, if you're getting Amazon Alexa developer rewards for your English language skills, you need to be internationalizing your skills because if they're working well already in one language and they're doing well enough for you to get a reward from it, then you are missing out on a huge opportunity if you don't internationalize. So thank you, Milkana. Thank you, Jonathan, for joining us. That was massively interesting. Do check Jargon out, jargon.com, and all the other links uh, to all the other bits of content like the uh, Dabble Lab series and the Twitter and Instagram handles and all that lot. They'll all be in the show notes. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us. And until next time, see you later.